0: In 1993, Jonathan Demme's film, Philadelphia, brought to screen the first Hollywood blockbuster to feature people with AIDS. The movie centers around Andy Beckett, a bright and promising white gay lawyer terminated from his law firm because his employers have figured out that he is both gay and has AIDS. Andy is played by Tom Hanks. What I mean, AIDS. I have AIDS.
1: And the Oscar goes to...
0: Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. Tom Hanks won an Oscar for that role, as did Bruce Springsteen for his song, The Streets of Philadelphia. I was bruised and battered, I couldn't tell what I felt. I was unrecognizable to myself. I saw my reflection in a window and didn't know my own face, oh brother. Are you gonna leave.
2: Jonathan Demme gave American audiences an avatar through Joe Miller, a flashy, hustling black lawyer played by Denzel Washington, who agrees to take on Andy's wrongful termination case against the powerful law firm that Andy once worked at.
0: Joe begins the movie with an aversion to gay people and to being around people with AIDS, he grows not only to see discrimination against gays and lesbians and people with AIDS as wrong, he begins to recognize it as a civil rights issue. Do you
1: think that homosexuals deserve special treatment?
0: I standing here in Philadelphia, the uh, city of brotherly love, the birthplace of
1: freedom, where the uh, founding fathers offered a declaration of independence. And I don't recall that glorious document saying anything about all straight men are created equal. I believe it says all men are created equal.
2: Despite this enlightened narrative, the movie reinforces and reproduces many narrow, popular culture representations of AIDS in the 1980s and 1990s, that conflated the disease with homosexuality.
1: Not Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That's a line with mankind. Take a is as a gay rights issue. I am not political. I
0: just want what is fair, what is
1: right. But you are gay, aren't you? I don't see how that's any in your business.
0: Yes, I am. It also represented gay people as being mostly white, middle class, and talented a move that pulled on people's heartstrings to see a contributing member of society being snuffed out by a disease that politicians and everyday people seemed to care nothing about. Hey, okay, and a terrific job in the Kendall situation. not, Mr. Beckett. Thanks, Kenneth,
2: Robert. AIDS discrimination in this movie thus only took issues with homophobic religious conservatives. And they brought AIDS
1: into our offices, into our men's rooms. Our to our annual family technique. Will you explain this to me like I'm a six year old, Mr. Wheeler, because I just don't get it? Who makes these rules that you're talking about, huh? You? Read your Bible, Mr. You Miller. Know
3: old and the New Testament. Pretty valuable rules in
0: there. But as we explore in this podcast series the boundaries of the disease, of who it was impacting, and who became obstacles to progress, had dramatically changed by 1993. In fact, by the time the movie came out, Philadelphia's AIDS crisis had grown well outside of the white gay community and beyond a divide between gay rights activists and religious conservatives that characterizes the disease dimension in the pandemic's earliest days. Hello, I'm Violet Rose Collins.
2: And I'm Zach Levy-Dyer. In this five-episode series, The Other Streets of Philadelphia, We're revisiting the 1993 film and exploring the streets and alleyways barely covered or not touched upon at all in this iconic film.
0: Yes, the movie Philadelphia helped raise awareness about AIDS, but we are here to raise awareness about how the AIDS crisis impacted more than just white gay men. It impacted people of color, women, queer people of color, and IV drug users ever since the disease was first observed in 1981.
2: And we'll even revisit the experiences of white gay men thrust into AIDS advocacy by forces largely out of their control, and find out how they struggled to address the needs of an expanding number of constituent patient groups.
0: Each of our episodes will center around an oral history testimony archived at the John J. Wilcox Jr. Archives at the William Way LGBT Center here in Philadelphia.
2: In fact, We've worked with our friend, John Andrews, an archivist in the Wilcox archives, and we'll hear occasionally from Professor Dan Royals, who wrote a new fantastic book called To Make the Wounded Whole, The African-American Struggle Against HIV-AIDS.
0: I personally can't wait.
2: Me either. Let's begin. Our first episode, produced by Aliyah, Jolie, Kaya, and Madeline, is really shining a light on the fact that Philadelphia is a majority Black city. Let's cross the street and explore the other streets of
4: Philadelphia. The city of brotherly love has a long history of fighting injustice. In fact, Philadelphia was home to many of the founding fathers of our country who decided to set themselves free from tyranny. It is a tradition Philadelphians have upheld ever since.
1: When I started with the task force two and a half years ago, the statistics were even. In the white community, there was 84 cases. And in the black community, there were 81 cases. And everybody was committed. Resources were committed. And we fought and we went on public Uh, uh, education trips to present information about the disease that was affecting the people. And then the numbers began to change. Last November, Bibashi, along with other groups, including the Philadelphia AIDS Task Force, said it's time to do something about the changes in the numbers, which were representing an increase in the number of cases among Blacks particularly, and what has become now a problem in the Hispanic community.
4: That's Rashida Hassan Abdul-Kabir. She is talking about the AIDS crisis that was overtaking the city of Philadelphia. Rashida was working as a nurse in the infectious disease unit when she came across her first AIDS patient. Quickly, she realized how destructive AIDS was, and further, she witnessed firsthand just how poorly minority AIDS patients were being treated by medical professionals.
5: The one case that I would say probably changed that changed my life was a young man who was um, admitted. Basically they said, you have uh, AIDS and she'll explain everything else to you. And they all walked out of the room pointing to me. And so we talked about, you know, describing the dialysis machine as a a washing machine, basically that would cleanse his blood, et cetera. And he said, and what is this AIDS?
4: After this encounter, Rashida began working for the Philadelphia AIDS Task Force. She noticed that the organization focused the majority of its attention on white gay men and that the city made AIDS out to be a white gay disease. I made another decision and that would be that I would leave these
5: people here and create an organization where I could be sure that black community would get the information because we do all live together and um, and how important it would be for people to really understand how the disease is transmitted and to help families who would now be caring for their sons initially, you know, who were infected by this disease with no support and not really understanding, you know, what's going on.
4: Rashida knew from working as a nurse that most of the people dying from AIDS were people of color who were lacking resources and education at the city's expense. Rashida had had enough of the city's poor choices. She decided to step away from the Philadelphia AIDS Task Force and form Babashi, which stood for Blacks Educating Blacks About Sexual Health Issues. She used what she knew as a nurse and what she had learned as an activist to make Babashi successful in reaching the city's minorities and other vulnerable groups. In this episode, we explore the wake of the AIDS crisis from the Black perspective, Rashida was among many African-American activists who fought to dispel the myth of AIDS being only a white gay disease. This was achieved through black activists constantly disrupting the conversation, creating visibility around the distinct challenges facing marginalized groups and demanding a seat at the table.
3: Scientists at the National Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta today released the results of a study which shows that the lifestyle of some male homosexuals has triggered an epidemic of a rare form of cancer.
4: This clip is from June 17, 1982. It was the first ever mention of HIV and AIDS in mainstream media. The characterization of the disease as being the result of the lifestyle of some male homosexuals demonstrates the ignorance surrounding HIV and AIDS in its infancy. Much of the public's misconceptions about AIDS was a result of President Ronald Reagan's initial lack of concern in response to the epidemic. The political climate during this time was heavily opposed to progress made by African-Americans, feminists, and the LGBTQ community. In fact, Reagan was president for nearly five years before even saying the word AIDS in public. By this time, over 12,000 people had already died from the illness. The president's indifference was definitely reflected in the attitudes of the public. People diagnosed with HIV and AIDS were faced with discrimination in the workplace improper health care, and immense stigmatization. AIDS became known as a disease which affected largely minority, gay, drug addicted, and low income populations. It quickly became a vehicle to further isolate the marginalized groups it affected.
1: They didn't even have a real name for it. They called it GRID. It was like a gay related um, disease, they called it. And um, and people were just literally wasting away and and dying.
4: By the end of Reagan's presidency in 1989, AIDS had claimed the lives of nearly 90,000 Americans. Much of the progress made by the AIDS movement was the result of the groundwork done by activists who affected change by organizing with groups of similar interests. Rashida Abdul-Kabir is a prime example of a medical professional who combined her professional knowledge and commitment to social justice to furthering the AIDS movement. Her work as an infectious disease nurse provided her with a unique perspective of the way in which patients with AIDS were being treated and educated on the virus. She knew that simplified and accessible modes of AIDS education would be the most pivotal tool in pushing the movement forward.
3: It's mysterious, it's deadly, and it's baffling medical science. Acquired immune deficiency syndrome, once thought to affect only promiscuous homosexual males, AIDS is now spreading in epidemic proportions to other segments of the population.
4: While the AIDS crisis was met by a blind eye from President Reagan, many activist groups, including LGBTQ, African-American, and feminist groups, banded together to keep the crisis visible. This meant protesting, artistic expression through poetry, music, and photography, policy proposals, and media visibility. Rashida helped to propel the AIDS movement forward by founding Babashi, a Philadelphia-based community group which sought to educate the Black community on sexual health issues, namely HIV and AIDS.
5: We had more people die from the complications of the drugs we were using because it, it was too much. It was too many, you know, too much. Um, the uh, dosages were too high. Um, but trying to figure out exactly what they were. All of that going on all at the same time. And still... Um, not, there not being enough education. Um, We're we're having to go uh, through um, sort of the walls of, in in terms of communities of color, not just African American communities of colors, all the social, the social core values that communities have in a very public way and having to pass through that knowing that there are gay men in your family and they are at risk but having had, you know, hundreds of years of we don't talk about that. We don't acknowledge that. That doesn't happen here. And having to figure out, well, how do we how do we help you if you won't even talk about it, you know? So it ended up with the formation of Babashi, um, Blacks Educating Blacks about sexual health issues. And so while we talked about other STDs, HIV was what we really focused on and it was all voluntary. Myself and Wesley Anderson, who was um, uh, STD uh, investigative officer for the health department, we collaborated on um, the creation of Babashi, and um, volunteers, you know, came.
1: What we have here is subject to controversy, a three-letter word some regard as a curse. See, he may fiend and have a dream because he seen a teen in tight jeans what makes him react like that is biological the scheme on getting in those is diabolical but of course he
2: does it and she gives him rap
4: and rashida's early career involved serving the philadelphia community as a nurse she soon realized that her service went above and beyond basic care as a child rashida was a fairly concrete thinker she was also very curious which led to her exploring different religions rashida found the muslim religion to be very attractive because it emphasized service to humanity. She fulfilled this service through nursing, through ways of care and treatment, and after a while she says that nursing began to expand itself into social care and public health. Her job as a nurse landed her exactly where she was supposed to be, fulfilling her purpose and preparing her for the AIDS crisis that was yet to come. Um, I was
5: actually finishing um, my um, bachelor's in nursing. And um, But I had been practicing uh, nursing for a number of years. I graduated in 1971 um, from an old school. I have a, I had a diploma. I graduated from the Women's Medical College, which is the oldest college and now no longer exists.
4: When the epidemic began in the early 80s, Rashida was still working in the medical field.
5: I was working at one of Philadelphia's larger medical centers. Um, my job was uh, infection control.
4: Rashida began developing policies on how to handle patients with AIDS that had gotten noticed by the health department.
5: They asked me to participate in a task force that they had organized with what was called the PCHA, the Philadelphia AIDS Task Force. And uh, I did that as a volunteer. And uh, in my life, made a complete turn. I was real happy with infectious diseases and risk management, but my life narrowed down to just the one.
4: Rashida recalls an encounter with an AIDS patient that was a breaking point for her.
5: There was uh, a patient in the hospital uh, just before I left to do the the larger piece of the work uh, who was admitted um, with renal failure. He had had uh, a history of um, drug use. Uh, He had uh, been involved in the sex trade, you know, and he had dropped out of high school. His veins were blocked in his kidneys because he had used substances or injected substances that could not be dissolved in the blood and pretty much ended it. What was important about my contact with him is that um, as they were working up his diagnosis, and um, this sort of entourage of renal physicians came into his room, like stood around the bed, and here's this young boy basically laying in bed looking at all of these people looking at him as a specimen and myself and they literally said to him your kidneys are shot we're gonna put you on dialysis you have AIDS and she's gonna tell you what you need to do next and they all left and I'm standing in the room with this boy you know, trying to figure out how I'm going to explain all that they just said to him. And so I said to him, do you understand anything they said to you? And he said, "Um, my kidneys don't work. I'm not sure about what dialysis is, um, and I don't know what whatever else it was they said. So he never really grasped that they told him he had AIDS, essentially a terminal diagnosis. And it was really at that moment I knew that this would be more likely the kind of people that would develop AIDS and HIV, and they would die not understanding anything that happened to them.
4: At this point, the city was lacking in providing resources and information for patients with AIDS and was ultimately failing at handling the crisis. The citizens of Philadelphia did not respond well to this. It
5: was very hostile. <laughs> It's <laughs> very hostile. The wars pretty much broke out after that. I mean, I mean, I had to publicly resign. No, I did publicly resign during my Malcolm X speech from the board of PCHA for their failure to address the epidemic to their very own people and uh, called on the mayor to reevaluate expenses of how this uh, money was being distributed and the people that were not receiving the benefits. And so the sort of... It was the skirmish of the war, and uh, so, yeah, it was, it was
4: horrible. After resigning from the Philadelphia AIDS Task Force, Rashida put all of her attention into Babashi with her co-founder, Wesley Anderson. Together, they worked to help address the AIDS crisis among people of color because the city was failing to do so.
1: in your presentations to your community, you don't remember the Hispanics and you don't remember the blacks, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we will be there to haunt you for it. Bibashi is committed to providing the minority services that need to exist for the minority community.
4: This clip is from the Philadelphia AIDS Candlelight Walk in 1986. It was here that Rashida publicly resigned from the Philadelphia AIDS Task Force and announced that she had created her own organization called Babashi, which stood for Blacks Educating Blacks About Sexual Health Issues. Rashida announced her resignation from her position as vice president of the PCHA because she felt that her role as a minority representative was not impactful after serving for two and a half years. Along with many other members of the community, Babashi was created to help minority persons with AIDS who were not getting the treatment and support they required from other AIDS organizations. The focus of this group was to promote sexual health education in the Black community to help families of those living with AIDS as well as preventing the spread of the disease. We had the opportunity to speak with historian Dan Royals who has focused his work on the early AIDS epidemic. When asked about Rashida, he was able to put into words why she saw the need to get involved.
3: So folks like Rashida saw the need for change in the way that Philadelphia was handling the AIDS crisis because they saw that the Black community was being disproportionately affected, but that the resources and programs were not being designed or allocated accordingly. A lot of the early programs were focused, consciously or unconsciously, on white gay men.
4: In his book entitled To Make the Wounded Whole The African American Struggle Against HIV and AIDS, Royals describes what makes Rashida and Babashi stand out during the early HIV epidemic.
3: Hassan's approach represented a view of Black gay identity that emphasized racial solidarity over sexual difference, one that was shared by at least some Black gay a- activists in Philadelphia. Yet this represents just one of the ways that African American AIDS activists made room for queerness within prevailing ideas about Black community and identity.
4: This would be one of the things that Rashida would be criticized about moving forward, her emphasis on community between Black people taking precedent over queerness. Rashida made her view on why she cared so deeply specifically for Black people with AIDS clear in a 1988 magazine interview, saying... Like everything else in our community, people of color are being disproportionately affected. And I'm not going to let my community be the last to be dealt with again.
1: Bibashi is out there. Those who are interested in comfort care, because that's what we call our buddies. There are Black PWAs who need to have someone who understands their cultural as well as their physical needs. That's the difference that Triumph brought.
4: Rashida's work was controversial, but it was the first organization in the United States to focus its time and resources solely on the minority community, which was being disproportionately affected by AIDS at the time. Thankfully, Babashi would not be the last group to devote their energy to helping marginalized groups dealing with AIDS.
1: Babashi has to do a lot of things, but it has to do, at the very least, one thing. It has to recognize the groundbreaking organization that it is. Mm -hmm. Because it was one of the first in the nation to go into a space that everyone else walked away from. I want my daughter to grow up in a world where AIDS is a memory. Just like polio is a memory, we want AIDS to be a memory.
4: This is the mission that every member of Babashi wishes to accomplish making HIV a memory. Today, Babashi is run by a strong group of community leaders, including Gary Bell, their executive director, who have all been touched by the AIDS epidemic in one way or another.
0: Babashi was the first organization in the United States to target the African-American community, and that has always been our focus. And I think that's what separates us, because aside from the mission itself, there's a cultural competence that we had that could Reach those folks with a message that they would listen to and understand. So,
4: although it has grown from a humble beginnings, Babashi is still the same it has always been at its core—an organization focused on the wellness and education of the African American community in Philadelphia, with both private and governmental funding. Babashi has been able to expand their programs to include resources for women's health, the LGBTQ community, and comprehensive in sex education.
1: The heart,
4: Rashida Hassan's work inspired other activists to fight for what they believed in and made it clear that HIV and AIDS organizations for communities of color were desperately needed. Hassan's work started with the Philadelphia AIDS Task Force in Babashi but led to her working with Circles of Care, Colors, and many other organizations. Rashida's work not only inspired other activists but also helped those working within her organizations.
5: I have um, a mentoring style for my staff that has encouraged all of them to go back to school. So every one of the Circle of Care staff is in school, some type of higher education. Um, And they they are people that run um, a wide range of backgrounds I have. Some people who are recovering um, from substance abuse addiction who, you know, wanted to get um, an associate's degree, but because he had been in prison, didn't think that he qualified. And all of those kinds of things to show that everyone has um, some part of the human puzzle that they have to put in place. And the only way to do that is to get involved.
4: Rashida's ability to speak to people and capture their attention is another major contributor to her success during her outreach. Here's Dan Royals talking about his experience with Rashida.
3: Rashida is an incredibly magnetic person. Like the thing that I think of when I think about Rashida first is the kind of brightness of her eyes and her laugh because she has this kind of infectious laugh that when I was interviewing her, I couldn't help but laugh myself.
4: Rashida herself talked about what it was like being a Muslim woman trying to get the attention of gay men and speaking about sexual education.
5: And so they take me upstairs and I get to do the presentation. I sat on a, uh, what is that, like a three and a half or four foot speaker from the night before. That was my podium. And uh, people came upstairs and they were like, oh, girl, are you getting ready to talk? And you know, one came in from shopping and and he was like very flamboyant and it's like, I know you think you're gonna to talk to us about this and that kind. Of, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" I said, "Well, yes, actually, I am." And what did you buy at Bed Bath and Body Works? What? what did, oh, I said, "Well, now when you do that, seduction is critical. You need to have colored condoms, for use. And do you know how to cheek? And it was like cheek." What are you talking about? And so then I would demonstrate how you put a condom on with your mouth so your partner doesn't necessarily have to know. They were like, oh, my God, you're a Muslim freak. So, I mean, there's always, but again, you know, you you just have to, you have to know what your purpose is and you don't let people distract you from the purpose with their
1: nonsense.
4: Rashida's magnetism allowed her to reach many audiences around the country and enable her to work with other activists. Although, as you will hear later, there was tension with other activists about how Rashida spoke about certain issues. Here is a quote from Dan Royal's book entitled, To Make the Wounded Whole, The African American Struggle Against HIV and AIDS, where he speaks about Rashida's different idea. Hassan maintained that black gay and bisexual men could be reached only by canvassing black neighborhoods outside of the downtown core, which was home to the mostly white gay gayborhood. This approach, she argued, additionally would help prevent AIDS amongst the straight black men, women, and youth who were also shown to be at an increased risk of the disease. But this approach also drew accusations of homophobia, and it hurt the group's credibility with the black gay men who are among the most at risk. Whereas Hassan subsumed gayness within Blackness in her understanding of the Black gay men's lives, AIDS organizations that were led by Black gay men saw things differently. Organizations led by gay Black men, such as GMAD, argued that being Black and being gay were part of one identity. Despite this, Rashida maintained her idea for the early days of Babashi. Here, in an interview with Terry Gross of NPR, Rashida explains why and how she targeted her Babashi outreach programs. Well,
5: Babashi has had um, probably multi-phases of of outreach efforts. Um, one was to, to simply alert, in general, the, the minority populations, the African-American population specifically, uh, since many of uh, my uh, clients and the constituents we were trying to reach are African-American, We also try to target those that are most at risk and least likely to have information. So, you know, we see our intravenous drug users, uh, people involved in sex trade. We also believe that uh, young people, adolescents especially, are going to be at greatest risk and also have the least amount of information um, based on behaviors. Uh, And then we try to then fan out more generally into the community consciousness aware, you know, awareness raising.
4: Although Rashida's ideas were different from many other activists of the time, her work with the Philadelphia AIDS Task Force, her Malcolm X speech, and her work at Babashi were all ways that she contributed to helping the Black community during the AIDS crisis. Additionally, the shortcomings of her work were what allowed activists like Tyrone Smith or Royal Hayes to create new organizations that work with communities that were being excluded. As we finish our podcast, let us listen to Rashida tell us why she cared and made a change. Well,
5: you know, again, uh, my my entire life really has been around trying to give back to the African-American community. I was very fortunate to grow up during uh, the time period of uh, great civil activism, uh, civil rights movement, um, had an opportunity to go to schools that uh, were not all that excited about having African-Americans uh, come and, and had an opportunity for education. I'm very Uh, steeped in African-American history and culture. And I love my community. I really do. And so going uh, into issues that may seem tough for others is just recognizing the need for community survival. When you look at it from a survival mode, it, it does really strip away a lot of your fears about going ahead and getting what needs to be done done. And nobody else is doing it. You know, That's the other concern that we have, that if we don't do it, why should we expect anyone else to?
4: Now, let's listen to how these other activists changed the face of the AIDS epidemic.